Hello and welcome to the I'm Pretty podcast. I'm Basma and this is Chi. We want to explore the world of beauty through the experiences and stories of people of colour. In each episode, we will unpack different themes and topics, along with the help of some friends, experts and people we just really love. We've got lots to say, lots to learn and we're here to do that with you. So let's get to it. Hey Baz, welcome to the sixth episode. Is it six? Have we done six? Well, this will be six, yeah. That's pretty impressive. God, that means that's how long lockdown's been. Yeah. I mean, we're coming out now, apparently. Yeah. I'm not coming out anywhere. <laughs> okay, no, you're like, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm coming out. I'm coming out. Yeah. I'm coming out of lockdown. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. What about you? I'm a bit snowed under. Lockdown work life is snowing me under a little bit, but it's good. I am working, working a lot, but it's good. I mean, at least you don't have to go back to an office. Like there's so many people that are back in the office this week and then yeah. next week I feel like everyone's gonna be back in the office and I was talking to a couple of girls the other day about how everyone's just got quite used to wearing their silk scarves and switching their zoom cams off yep and 100%. now everyone's gonna go back in the office I think I have my first like proper proper meeting like next week I have to wash my hair I might have to put makeup on I might have to like actually make these curls look you know sort of semi-decent it's so weird that we've kind of not let ourselves go but just like relaxed a bit in our appearance because we don't have to like go into like a working environment and have to like project this perfect like prettiness yeah it's actually really interesting I think back about what Charlotte Mensa was saying in our first episode and mm. she was saying you know this is a really good time to fall in love with your natural texture yes, and I know that I've just been like redoing my braids but so many girls that I'm speaking to and boys actually have just really just been embracing it I love getting dressed up I love doing my hair I love doing my makeup and I do miss that aspect of getting dressed up to go somewhere I'm not saying I want to do it all the time and I probably won't do it as often but I'm quite looking forward to a little bit of reverse self-love where I can just like treat myself make myself feel better yeah I I see what you mean (laughs) I mean I don't plan on getting dressed up anytime soon (laughs) it's quite funny that we even have this conversation about getting back into work because it sort of leads into the conversation we're having today with about what the workplace beauty standards are and any sort of pressures we felt as people of color in standard beauty workplace (laughs) tell me about you like have you ever felt the pressure in any way I wouldn't say it's pressure as such it's like discomfort so I always think about one of the jobs that I've had when I was interviewing I had braids really lovely braids but because of my notice period and whatever by the time I got the job I had changed my hair so on my first day at that job Mm -hmm. I turned up this little short afro pretty unkempt actually because I didn't really take very good care of my hair back then and I just remember the person who was interviewing me when she met me at reception she almost I just I always remember that look and I know that she doesn't even realize that she gave me any kind of look but from that day it was my first day I was just thinking to myself like would I have got this job if I had been interviewing the way that I turned up on my first day you actually think you wouldn't have done I'm not confident that I would have done I'm not even though I know that I'm good at my job but like i don't I don't know just the way that she made me feel so many times I've been in the workplace and people have given unsolicited feedback about my hair so if it's like what are you doing this weekend I'm getting my hair done oh what are you gonna do oh I think I'm gonna get gray braids oh no I think I prefer your hair black like (laughs) thank you thanks didn't ask yeah yeah I get that a lot actually I because I had god I straightened my hair every day till I was 25 I think that comes with that European look that was in the fashion industry at the time which was like look as sleek and clean their version of clean anyway and 
primmed and proper as you could. So I always had straight hair. But even that was a struggle because no matter how much I straighten my hair, it's not going to be European straight. It just never is. It wasn't discomfort for me. It was proper pressure. It was pressure to fit in and assimilate. And I think that even though we can say that was a creative industry being in publication, it's a workplace, it's an office. You know, you're mm-hmm. in an office, you're sitting at a desk at a computer. So I think there is, there's always that sort of pressure in the workplace. You know, when you get your hair done and the first thing is as soon as you go in with a new hairstyle, everyone's like, wow. I hate that. I literally, because I hate attention anyway. But yeah. like those days I'd walk into the office and I'd prepare myself for at yeah. least the first 30 minutes of my day to be spent talking about my hair. <laughs> and then the rest of the day, at some point, I will still have to continue talking about my hair to every yeah. single person that's there. Yeah. It's- it's fucking draining like the thing is I like love the compliments of course who doesn't I love the like your hair is great I really like your hair like it really suits you like I like all that stuff it's just the other baggage that comes along with it and the kind of the shock factor weirdly Mm. there's a real shock factor when I guess black women as being a black woman do their hair that's like wow and I'm like what's so wow about getting braids like it's so weird it just baffles me I'm like (laughs) it's on tv so even if you don't have black friends and have never had a black colleague before like surely you watch EastEnders surely you watch (laughs) I'm trying to think of any other like tv show that has a lot of black people in like even Love Island I I know that they tend to wear their wigs and their weaves but workplace beauty standards are tricky because you want to look like what they in that workplace have deemed acceptable and mm. if you have to toe that line and do that, I, you know, I did it and I kind of get that survival part of it. You kind of have to do what you need to do, you know? I definitely think that we almost learn this um, expectation about our appearance from being young and those battles that you remember with your mum and your teachers mm-hmm. about your hair. But even the perception of what unprofessional hair looks like. Yeah. There's been tons of conversations about this. Still to this day, if you Google unprofessional hair, the first images that appear are of black people, mainly black women, with natural hair or dreads. Really? Yeah. Like if I did it right now? Do it right now. I like that. And I actually don't want to. That's really depressing. Kind of wild that unprofessional hair comes up with images of black people. Do you know what's also really annoying? Yeah. Is the reason why I think it probably still does come up. I mean, Google needs to start the algorithm. But yeah, I was just about because to say the Google. story has been covered so much. Mm. And people are using those pictures in their articles. Uh, That's also the reason why it still comes up. So there's even more. It's like pages and pages of like black women's hair. Even Lupita Nyong'o shows up on the first page. Wow. It's wild. Wow. And even when it comes down to hair discrimination, um, we know that California was the first state in the US to ban hair discrimination so that people could wear their god-given hair in the workplace and in schools um and then if virginia falls suit i don't even think we have that in the uk do we we don't have no, any we don't all we hear about it what every month i mean not during lockdown while schools have been closed but of kids that are being kicked out of school because their hair's unkempt or whatever there's still no laws in the uk around it which is really shocking and disappointing actually in 2020 yeah. but a kind of disappointing but not surprising there's something that needs to be about that I think that ours is a little bit different I guess in the UK because it has been kids going to school and the issues that have come up with that but there's still been no laws in the place I think it's just been tackled with individual schools I guess I yeah know. yeah I think some kids have like won lawsuits I guess the thing is if your kid gets kicked out of school for having afro hair then you just go on this morning right <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was literally about to say you go on this morning that's so funny <laughs> speak to Holly and Phil they'll be back in school the next week yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well then I guess this is a perfect opportunity to get into our conversation 
So today we have two amazing people that we're going to get a lot of inspiration from. Our first person is Kevin Morsky, who is an advertising creative director, photographer, film director, as well as working on creative campaigns from global brands such as Vodafone and Adidas. He's also the co-founder of POC, People of Culture and Collective, which I'm actually part of, um, and Community Podcast. And also joining us is Nicole Krenzel. Nicole is a cultural producer, public speaker, and creative consultant. Literally the epitome. In fact, you're both slashers, right? (laughs) Nicole co-founded the Black Girl Festival to celebrate Black British women and girls and her passion for supporting and promoting diversity through various industries alongside her drive to stimulate and facilitate forward-thinking conversations awarded Nicole as timeouts, one of 50 Londoners shaping the city's cultural landscape. Thank you both for coming. Thanks. Hey. did Did you like those intros? It's mad hearing intros, especially for me like that, because I'm like, do I do that stuff? Have I done that stuff? (laughs) You have done that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So we wanted to ask you guys just to jump straight right into it. Kevin, maybe you can start. Can you tell me how you identify yourself? So you said the intros are funny. What would you say you are? And, you know, how did you get into what you do today? I would just say that I'm a creative, basically. Me being in advertising was just from a space of, like, not wanting to be a token. I think there's a big conversation at the moment around slacktivism <laughs> and just playing the part and that is very true. Like we've seen it with a lots of counts just changing back to what they were doing before. But real talk, there are a lot of people in our community that are about that flex as well. And I never, ever, ever, ever want to be that kind of waste man. So for me <laughs> real talk, for me, I delved into advertising because I felt like I'd hit the ceiling I felt like I would just be in Brangin's rooms to be the black gay one in the room so people could get a pass and so I delved into advertising because I wanted to understand how to break those things and have enough power to change ideas and the culture and make sure that we're being represented correctly and in the right places so yeah I'm like a CD of this like the fifth biggest media agency in the world and la 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 but Primarily, to be honest, I'm just a black gay creative from South London. Like, it's not that deep. Um, uh, <laughs> that's it. Like, that's amazing, uh, though. I quite like that. But like that you just stripped stripped it down. And you're just like, I'm a creative, which is kind of amazing. Nicole, what about you? I think I would define what I do as just like doing bits. I've always found that black creatives have been forced into this multi-faceted identity because. For many of us, in order for us to be accepted in various different industries, we have to be able to do everything and anything. Learning how to use Adobe programs that we'll probably never, ever use, but it just looks wicked on a CV and makes us more receptible for different jobs and stuff. And I guess I've definitely fallen into that trap, but also to the point of just focusing on the things I'm passionate about. And in relation to like Unmasked Women and Black Girl Festival, it's always been about creating spaces, always been about having conversations and providing access and learning. Um, and in any pocket of an industry that I can make that happen is probably what I'm running around doing. I definitely find that with whatever title that you give yourself or whatever kind of experience that you build up to acquire that title, being a black woman in the industry, it's, you know, being a black woman in, in, in general, you kind of have to do a many of things. You kind of have to balance many of things. But to truly focus it on one conversation or one skill set, it's quite hard. So I try to do that in everything that I do to have that focus and so that 
the work that I do is targeted and has a wider impact and meaning. Yeah. So yeah, it's something I think about quite a bit, actually. So when I hear the titles and the things that I've done, I'm just like, I, it's all bits, though, isn't it? It's yeah, bits of yeah. things. <laughs> I kind of feel the same, though, it is that. Can I, can I just <laughs> add on to that quickly? Because I had a big realisation two weeks ago when I was having a full-on breakdown in my workplace mm. uh, with my mm. creative partner. And what I realised about that slasher thing of having all of these skill sets actually if I'm honest a man would just love to have one you know and like concentrate and mm. but more I've realized the reason why director editor photoshop la 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 is because these lot could never turn around to me now and shut any doors because I'm like oh I've mm. got the key to this one oh okay <laughs> great I've got the key to that one yeah, right. um, <laughs> but it, it only yeah. dawns on me why I've picked up all of these things it's also like it does look buff on the resume and all of those things 100% mm. that you said but I realized like the amount of times people have tried to turn me away and I'm just like oh no but you you can't because you need me I can do that yeah I can do that guess what I can I can do that whereas you have all these so... white guys that can just do one thing and that's their that's the only thing they can do and then they just walk into the rooms knowing that they can walk into the room because they don't need to know anything else. That's you know right. I mean? Yeah, like, an interesting observation, Kevin, actually, because I'm a bit of the same as you guys. I kind of just do a lot of a lot of bits. Um, and I never would have... I actually haven't thought that that's maybe why I do a lot, so that I can survival. do a lot. Survival, yeah. It's a good way Literally. to put it. You know uh, Emma Gannon's multi-hyphen book? I want someone to write a black version of that because it's a whole different experience talking about having this multi-hyphen title and your roles in that as well and I find that even from the things that you learn by trade and what you've built over the couple of years from experience or the jobs that you've taken on you're always acquiring all these titles so that you can kind of propel you further and I feel like you know like Pokemon cards black creatives are acquiring way more you know yeah. useless titles yeah. throwaway titles that you didn't even know that you needed but you just acquired it you put it in your bag and you're like one day I'll be able to walk in this door because I've got this extra you know title that will get me through yeah. and it's crazy that that's something that we have to do as a, as a means of propelling or going forward in our careers but also yeah. to be able to open doors to bring other people through we're, we're also saying that you have to have five different titles next to your business card mm. to be even at this level do you know what I mean? As opposed to just yeah, one yeah. title. And that's just mad as well. When I think about the younger generation who were like, well, I've got to be able to do YouTube edits. I've got to be able to do social media management. I've got to be able to, you know, edit all my podcasts myself and not even bother about getting a producer. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like mental. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. So we're here to talk about perceptions of beauty in the workplace. I mean, we have all between us have worked in multiple different work environments and mm. one of the really interesting things around the most recent resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement is that companies are being called out mm. to show how many black employees they have and whatever and then companies are making pledges to hire more black employees but the one thing that they're kind of forgetting is that like internal reflection as to the things that they do and the environments that they create that aren't really comfortable for black people really and one of those things is the microaggressions that are simply to do with how one looks so whether it's hair whether it's your nails whether it's how you dress the workplace it's almost like it becomes this like super concentrated area and environment where I don't know whether you guys feel the same, but I definitely have felt way more self-conscious when in an office environment versus like any other environment about the way that I look. 
Kevin, we wanted to start with you speaking as a guy with locks. We all work in the creative fields and people would assume that our dress codes are more casual and our work environments are quite casual and we wouldn't necessarily face these experiences. Kevin, can we talk about your hair? Like, how does that get received working in the advertising industry, but also working with a number of like huge corporate clients? So I think it's important to note that I am from South London, Croydon. And so I genuinely, if you don't know me, know me, probably give off of energy to don't play with me. Like it's just, it's it's a thing from Croydon. In terms of my hair and locks, there's been one or two like white ladies whose hands have been stopped mid air. Oh my God. Um, One or two, but for the most part, I don't like, I'm six foot something. I'm definitely bigger after lockdown. (laughs) I don't give off that energy of like just approachable in that way. I'm also like a Virgo. So my face is always in a mood, even though I'm happy inside. (laughs) Um, That being said though, from my experience, I think in the workplace, black women are the most under attack from those circumstances. Who I co-founded POC with is Nana. Nana gave me my first job in advertising. And so Nana was the head of TV and production. I rolled in and was like, look, they're trying to take men for like a pawn. I really just want to be in advertising so I can change things. Mm -hmm. And she was like, I need an in-house editor. Um, I can't put you into the advertising section. But if you come in, like do editing for me, I will back you and make sure you get to where you need to. We'll work together on it. And this is why I always say, and like we'll always say that black women all my life have saved me. That's why you can't talk wicked to them in front of me or like get your jaw spun. It's as simple as that. And so Nana, (laughs) being the head of that department, like put me in. Again, where did I learn editing? Uh, University of YouTube. I was just like, I probably need to learn. (laughs) And just was like, okay, cool. And like, I think at the time she even said, oh, like, do you know how to do like After Effects? And like, I barefaced lied and was like, yep. But then went home and learned it in like two days and like was able to teach it. But the reason I bring that up is, imagine I didn't go to like university for any of this. And so Nana's high up, high, high, high up in that business. And she's brought me in. I'm like I said, I'm just like a road you. So I remember these two particular senior creators coming in and I guess they'd always come in and had this banter with her and they came in and was like, oh, you've changed your hair. Did you buy this one? Did you make this one? Like on those lines. And like before she could answer, like I was just in there like, sorry, who are you talking to? Like, are you okay? Like, because to be honest, I was like, I'm not having a bar of it. I'm not sitting around like this is violence. It's violent for you to come in and have these kind of conversations and affect someone's mental health in this way, affect someone's perception of their appearance in this way, like Mm. image, all of those things. I'm not having it. I just, I went on Rowdy. Like there is a reason why my Instagram is wizard in a track. Like I haven't forgotten and never will forget. (laughs) And I remember Nana sitting there looking at me and I was just like, rah, she's going to like pop off at me after this because... There is a thing in those spaces where, and no tea, no shade, and I don't judge anyone for the way black and brown people attempt to survive those very violent, hostile environments. Like if yeah. if it's for you to be slightly more quieter and make yourself smaller just to get through, I'm not judging you. Like, I get it. Mm. And um, they got red-faced and they were like, oh, we didn't mean it. I was like, but you did. Like, don't you ever, like, come in here and question her about it. It's none of your business. 
move. Mm. Uh, they were senior as fuck, but they left. And then after that, like, I remember very clearly Nana was almost like close to tears because she was just like, that shit has constantly gone on and I haven't known. Mm. And the exchange between me and Nana has always been like, Nana has like properly given me game in corporate world to be like, yo, he does this, but this one is jealous of this one. So if you want this to run, make <laughs> this one know that you're talking to this one. Like, that one is gone. Like, trust me. And on the other side, I think I gave to Nana, like, that rawness of just, like, nah, that's not running, la, 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 la. So throughout my whole career in advertising, I've mainly spent it not defending myself but others and, like, mm-hmm. very much being, like, why did you just touch her like that? That's inappropriate. Because there is a thing with men they think that they can bond with me over <sighs> problematic behavior and toxic masculinity. They're like, oh, it's a bonding part. And it's like, Naji, I've, I've never forgotten my first home. I remember my mother's skin tone. We're not, <clears throat> not that. We're not doing any of that. So it's very, very hostile. And all of these companies are trying to hire and get young people in. And I think, cool, that's great. But you also need it at the top of the food chain, so to speak. Because yeah. if there's nobody senior in that space that culturally speaks that language, when a young mm. one like me back then, who was very much junior and was just an in-house editor, was popping off like that, if Nana didn't back it for me, I would have just been gone the next week. So if Nana yeah. wasn't, do you get what I mean? So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. you can talk about hiring all of this new blood. Great. But what are you doing for your senior spaces? Right. Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I hear you. It's and actually, true. that goes on quite nicely to Nicole. Obviously, you have a shaved head. The decision you made to shave your head, what space were you in at that time? And, and why did you do it? And also, what, what was the reception that you received from it? I shaved my head because I was absolutely sick of the natural hair community. I'm being very honest with you. Okay. <laughs> I, was sick of, I was sick of the perception of who the community wanted me to be just by the hair that I carried and the pressure that came for a lot of black women in my position to embody a certain type of identity, literally because I had Afro textured 4C hair and it was just too much. And actually I realized the most powerful thing about being a black woman is that I can do so much more with my hair than anyone else. I can cut it, I can grow it, I can braid it, I can dye it. I can do so much and I'll be able to go back to the other style a year later. I can grow my hair out and have a little afro by next year if I wanted to. Mm. And I realised that the pressure that came with the with the community, and I guess at that time where everyone was being called queen and Nubianness, and you know, if you didn't if you had straight straight permed hair, then people would be looking at you funny, like, oh, you're not about it if you don't have any straight. Do you know what I mean? It was just mm. so much perceptions over like what kind of person you should be just by your hair texture and what you were kind of talking about in correlation to that and I was like raw I really want to perm my hair I want straight hair for a bit like I want to dye it for a bit I want a pixie cut and then I want to shave it off you know and I felt like I couldn't do that and I felt really constrained and I felt like my the perception of who I was and what I was about would change by me having a pixie cut isn't that mad like it's yeah. so mad that there's yeah. this it's level true, of control yeah. control over your identity and over your hair which forms your identity based on the hairstyle you choose and yeah so when I realized that actually I have the absolute freedom to do whatever I wanted I did everything I permed it I gave myself that pixie cut I put some colors in and then I shaved it all off <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, I, and it was it was the most liberating thing ever because it just felt like I was taking back the control that I had 
taking from my mum who was doing my hair for a certain amount of time, taking back from myself and my community that I felt like was putting all this pressure that just was weirdly like in my existence. And then just having all the control to do whatever I wanted with it. Were you in a full-time job when you made that decision? Yeah, I was still in full-time employment. Um, This is before I went freelance. I was experimenting all all of this before I decided to make the jump. But I think for me, I think I, I was kind of going through that point of my life but also I think even just thinking about like my workplace and stuff like what you were saying yeah the creative industry gives off this vibe that you can come as you are but as we notably know that the issues about inclusion is that you can't come as you are you have mm-hmm. to be a certain type of person yeah and you have to be perceived in a certain kind of way a good example of that is you know when people say oh when I go for a job interview I'm wearing a wig and when I kind of have my after I finish my month's notice then the natural <laughs> hair comes out you know when <laughs> then the afro comes out and then you'll see in my natural state right as yeah. opposed to like this the straight wig curly wig that you might walk into the interview with and I feel like even even when we do that we aren't walking in as ourselves and we're creating mm-hmm. a precedent for an identity that isn't our own it's a perception of who we should be and sometimes depending on how long you stay in that industry or that sector or that business that perception sticks that image or that um kind of facade sticks because now you've presented yourself as this person who has straight hair and it talks a certain way it doesn't usually use slang words doesn't really usually you know cursing and you you walk into that room as this person and this is how they see you and you feel forced to never be able to change you know suddenly you start saying bruv and suddenly you start wearing you know some ratty trainers to a meeting and or suddenly you start you know talking about the crazy shit you get up to on the weekend and where you actually become your true self and I feel like just adding on to what um, Kevin was saying, and which is a, a, a huge pipeline issue, you know, the industry believes that the, the pipeline issue with young people is that, one, there aren't any young people that are interested. Okay, we fixed that because here's a bunch of people that want to be in the industry. And two, young people aren't staying. They're going off and doing their yeah. own things and they're doing yeah. DIY projects and they're going off and they don't want to stay in our agency. Why? Why, 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 why? Yeah. And it's like, you know, you think so much about, young people's identities where they come from their kind of economic social backgrounds and it's like you're not creating environments for them to want to stay you know you're bringing them in on some weird accelerator program where they get to like shadow people and then they just bounce because they realize that this isn't for me and this space isn't for me and I agree with with Kevin in, in that it should be taken you know at a senior level as well we should be looking at mm-hmm. being more inclusive in that space because people think inclusion is just pipeline it's just getting people in and actually you should be really focusing on the the type of culture that you already have inside and the top-down culture that your senior team bestow onto everyone else and for a lot of agent you know organizations and businesses and brands and stuff they don't think about that senior team and um they just think you know that I would say though I would say that this um I don't know whether you've seen Sharon Shooter's pull up or shut up mm. campaign you know her campaign is very much about board level executive directors I do think this time around for once let's see how long they actually stick to it companies are addressing the fact that they don't have black people people of color on their executive boards but it's also that middle level isn't it it's like because the thing is at the top, at the top level, they're so far removed from what's going on down there. Like it needs to trickle down across all yeah. all the levels. And especially for me, when I think about all of the senior people of colour 
in my industries, I have to also consider what they have been through and what they have had to do in order to survive and get there. And I mm. think the learn, even for me, like during my career, the learnings that I've made aren't necessarily healthy to be passed down to a younger generation because people just need to be able to go into work and be themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I I think, yeah, I agree to a certain extent. But I also think there are lots of black and brown and other ethnic minorities as well, to be clear, in those higher positions that are very uncomfortable around me in the room and yeah. around like other people like Nicole and like if you take a Kalechi or whoever who are very mm. about it and loud and like very honest within their truth and their lived experience because... Mm. It's a lived like. How can you argue with my that there's something that I lived? Are you okay? Like, <laughs> and so I think for me, yes, it is about up, down, and in the middle. But it's also about allowing. I think that's what you were just saying. Allowing people to come in with their actual lived experience and how they see it. So when I talk to clients, I talk how I'm talking now. There is no uh, white man phone voice for them. Yeah, like. When I come in, I dress how I want to dress and all of those things. And I've taken it on board and within my soul and heart, honestly, to be like, even if I'm here for a year, you would have met someone like me. And the next person that comes along that is slightly like me from my background or whatever, is going to be that little bit much easier. And I'm, it shouldn't be uh, a fucking relay race where I run up and I take four bullets and then someone after me takes three, two, one. Mm. It shouldn't be that, like... Because at the end of the day, your whole fucking industry is based on my source. Your whole industry yeah. like, yeah. is based on my magic and all of the things yeah. that are in my home and the textures and the colours and all the rest of it. We, we run TikTok, we run Instagram, we run like All of these popular spaces are like oozing with us. And so why is it that we can't step into these spaces with 100% of us as opposed to um, 90% or 10%. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, you, I have to say that half of you two are mm. particularly, I mean, having just had a conversation for like 20 minutes, you guys are particularly confident. I can't even, Yeah. I mean, it's pretty impressive how confident you both are in being like, I want to be my true self and I just didn't want to be this because I 100% wasn't like that in the fashion industry. But the joke of that is that for me, actually, that comes from trauma. And so what I mean by that is, you man can talk wicked to me, but actually back in Croydon, people are trying to stab me and shoot at me. The two things are not, like, you can't (laughs) compare. Yeah, you can't compare. So you can be like, oh, la, 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 and pull a Karen. But, like, bruv, like, people are actually trying to take off my head when I was 15, 16. So when I compare those two things, I don't have time to be scared of your nonsense. Um, Mm, So that's where where it comes from and unfortunately like the structure that this country is built upon made me and now they're going to eat it as far as I'm concerned yeah. I'm actually, <laughs> actually being petty full time if you yeah. really do yeah. <laughs> yeah up in the scale yeah. I think yeah. as well just to, just to add as well I think it's just about being unapologetic and being oh. like in that space of just being your true self and I feel like for a lot of black people I wasn't definitely always like this like I had to force my my identity my true identity into many of spaces and not give a damn basically if people take it or not because if you want this brand 
this this authenticity you're gonna get all of this in the package um and I can understand that not everyone can be that um Mm. but I do believe that as you have more um influential people being their unapologetic selves it also breeds an environment where other people can be the same way too so you talk about us by talking heavily about Kalechi talk heavily about so many incredible powerful voices online but also in real industries and real spaces who show you quite literally how to be unapologetic period not settle for less not watered down not diluted in any way shape or form and I can definitely say that I've built my confidence off the back of that like this hasn't just as much as for Kevin it's come from like trauma and stuff for me it's literally had to be built off seeing other people do it as well and realizing that I could be in that space too yeah do you think Mm. that because you know you have almost the privilege if we can call it a privilege of being freelance and working for yourself like do you feel like you were in that space in the work environment or is it because you're like kind of out free you own what you do that you can be like I'm gonna be my true authentic self here when you were in the workspace were you still in the same place I was growing in that space when I was still working full-time I can definitely say the the confidence that you get from acquiring all these different titles being about it having all your shit together you know doing bare things and doing bits it gives you more confidence to be like I'm coming into this space as my true self probably my second job from graduating was probably the last time I was not my true self I wasn't unapologetically me and literally every job ever since then that I've had till my very last one before I went freelance they were getting complete Nicole because as well when people like want to engage with you like online and they want to chat with you after work drinks that's when your true self comes out so you're constantly yeah. having a yo-yo between two identities. And this is what I was talking about when I was doing Advanced Women. I was I was looking further into research, actually, that proves that for a lot of Black women, older Black women in an old generation who suffer from psychosis have long-term um, experiences of constantly yo-yoing between two identities, which is nuts, right? So mm. I was like, rah. So if I yo-yo the rest of my life, it could potentially lead to psychosis statistically yeah. is that crazy yeah. isn't that crazy I mean, it's exhausting like, though it's not huh? surprising it's like, like that damn. constant switching in your brain like obviously that's going to have some kind of long-term effect but effect. we just don't even we don't think about it I think code switching in any environment in the corporate world I mean we, I, me and Chi were both in fashion and I worked at pretty much every publication fashion publication going and I have to admit like I there is no way I could have been authentically myself because I needed to earn money. I needed to pay rent. So I sacrificed my authentic self in order to survive. When it comes to appearance in the workplace, we talked about that code switching and essentially the code switching happens in hair. We spoke to a ton of our black and brown friends, particularly black women, about how even my personal experience, they're essentially switching and considering and being very strategic about how they wear their hair, whether, you know, they change their wigs at the weekend rather than in the middle of the week. I have changed my hair many times throughout my career, whether I've had an afro, a weave, different coloured braids. Anytime I change my hair, I would literally prepare myself psychologically to have an entire day of people asking me about my hair. How long did it take? Did it hurt? How long's your natural hair? 
Is it real? How much did you pay for it? When it comes to those beauty standards in the workplace, we've heard of brands like Zimmerman being called out because their grooming guides just show like basically Caucasian hair. How can companies really address workplace beauty standards in a really inclusive way? I think it's really simple. I think it's simply mind your business. Yeah, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> mind your business. My hair story is, and this is really... I think it's interesting listening to Nicole's because mine's the complete opposite of I was keeping my hair shaved and clean because I felt like that proved I wasn't a threat or like I was a nice young chap, etc., etc. I hoped that that would stop older white ladies in buildings that I've been working in them with for like over two years to stop clutching their handbags once we got in the lift. And then one day I was just like, what would actually happen if I just let it grow? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. what my hair actually do? Like, how does that work? And um, and that was yeah, it's five years ago now. Um, mm. and as I said, and how uh, was that? Like, as it was growing, I'd love to hear like how. Obviously, people must have been asking you about it, right? Uh, yeah, but I brushed it off because the bigger goal was like it felt like self care in a different way, and I really enjoyed mm. it in the same mm. way that I think for Nicole it was self care to like. I'm going to dye this. I'm going to do... Now I'm going to cut it off. It's just hair. Like, and I have fun. Like, sometimes I still get, like, stressed with it. But in the beginning, I realised, like, most of the things that were sold in, like, a pack or whatever were not good for my hair. So I went and brought share butter. I went and got my own oils. I started making my own stuff. I realised, like, how I would and wouldn't wash it, how often, all of these things. Um... And then I started like twisting it into locks, um, learning, like, I remember in the beginning, I tried to call it dreadlocks. And then the lady who used to do my hair, who left, and I haven't been able to find since, and I'm bitter about, um, I really miss her. Um, <laughs> and I said dreadlocks in the chair. Mm-hmm. She hit me in the middle of my head with the comb and was like, what did you say? And she was like, go and research why they're called locks and not dreadlocks and come yeah. to find out that um, when they kidnapped people and held them hostage uh, on those slave ships and didn't allow them to wash themselves or anything, by the time they arrived um, at their death camps, and I'm really trying to change the language of the way that I talk about the slave trade and all of those things and use the correct words, mm-hmm. not plantations, but death camps, um, that they were like, oh, look at the, the hair's dreadful. Look at these dreadful locks. And then you cut to dreadlocks. Mm. And I was like, right, okay, so they're locks. And like, so yeah. We but actually, it, we only just learned that, Chi, right? We yeah, were talking you about told him. me that. Yeah. It was like, it was, you, it was, it was Kevin, we had the it? conversation on Instagram. Right. I was like, oh my God. Because the thing is, I. I think we'd recorded like two episodes where we'd said the word dreadlocks. And then I was just like, I am mortified now. And Mm. we just can't use that language anymore. Yeah, but don't be mortified. Mm. None of that is on you. That's not weight on your shoulders. That's not your history. That's that's nothing to do with you. Yeah. The way I view it. So, um, yeah, I, I, back to your question, answer, sorry, uh, is I think you just mind your business. Like, I think... (laughs) Like, if it's to do with hygiene and people are coming in smelling, that's a different thing. But we all wash our feet and legs, so that's not a problem. (laughs) (laughs) You lot. 
mind your business. Oh it's my god. Your hair, this is the hair, that is it. It's none of your business. It's yeah. absolutely none of your business. Yeah, it isn't. And you're right. Even when I get a retwist, I'm so like I know in the morning. Oh, your hair's been like I don't want to talk about it. Like mm. I didn't do my hair for you. Mm. I really didn't. Mm. It's none of your business. Mind your business. <laughs> Oh my god! Mm. I wish that I had a Kevin in my life, like back when I was in the workplace. Right, exactly. I don't want to talk about it. It's none I of your business. About <laughs> Speed dial me. Me on loudspeaker just to pop off, and then I. <laughs> <laughs> Two seconds. A recording. Yeah, yeah. A recording. <laughs> oh yeah! Oh my god! You should just send out voice notes that people can just use. Yeah, oh yeah. Just play them in front of their. <laughs> play them in front of their box. For me, also, I guess being in the fashion industry it's not all about hair um it also comes down to the language the cultural references the way you dress Nicole you are so into fashion so into style you're also very colorful in the way you express yourself and quite you know boldly African about the way you express yourself you're proud to be from Ghana do you feel like when you were in the corporate world you didn't do that or you numbed that down a little bit and do you think that's different now or how are your feelings about the way you project yourself other than your hair? I think I've I've always projected myself as a colourful, vibrant person. Um, I, I honestly believe, like, from the moment of being out of school uniform, I was projecting myself <laughs> as a different person. I was wearing what I wanted to wear. The creative industry obviously allows you to be a bit more relaxed than other corporate jobs so I would turn up to meetings in my trainers you know or I would go and see clients in in cute pumps or something and I, I wouldn't feel like I had to you know I would turn up in a bit of kente on Ghana Independence Day but fell on a, on a work day and it was Ghana Independence Day I'm wearing wow. a bit of kente why not like I love yeah, because people love that shit don't they they love knowing oh you're from Ghana oh well you're born in Ghana <laughs> they love that. Oh, my, oh my dad used to live in the Gambia. The Gambia. The Gambia. <laughs> they're really like the Gambia. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it, I know that it draws that kind of energy of people being like, oh, where are you from? But at the same time, it's like, if I want to present myself in this way, and this is what I'm going to do, this is my identity. And I guess as I naturally fell into being more unapologetic, I just kept pushing it more and more and more and more and more. Um, and was just kind of turning up however I wanted. Sometimes it was in rags, you know, sometimes it wasn't all dressed to the nines because I didn't have anywhere to go, I didn't have any meetings, or I was sat at my desk for eight hours. And other times it was kind of, you know, showing up and showing out. And I think as you naturally become more unapologetic and more confident, so does your overall style as well. From like makeup to hair to your clothing, and I guess just your whole demeanor as well, like how you show up into meetings, not looking down all the time, looking up and looking at people right in their eye and not feeling like, yeah. you know, I'm not meant to be in this room, so I'm not gonna, I'm just gonna ask if anyone wants some water in, in the meeting room, but not really say anything else. You know, and there's just yeah. there's this holistic review of like, definitely for black women how we present ourselves in these kind of corporate spaces and I've walked into lots of really big corporate offices and had these big fancy meetings with my herbal tea ready to go and I would just be my complete self because if they're willing to want to speak to me and work with me they have to have they have to have my authentic stuff I can't be anyone else because I've got to then lie to them the whole time I'm working with them and that lie just felt so wrong yeah, um, yeah you have to give yourself and you have to believe that people want to be around that kind of person um, and if not sod them you know go and work with somebody else 
Can I ask you guys? We got a comment from Patricia Z. She works in a corporate environment and she said that she's the only black person in her department. So sometimes she feels the pressure to represent the race, even though obviously, you know, that shouldn't and isn't the case, but she feels that pressure. Have you ever had to deal with that? And if so, and if not, what would you advise for someone who is dealing with that? I um, I think I think we've all experienced that in different things just because of the way mm-hmm. this country moves and the media moves and that dirty man in number 10 moves. I think that we all <laughs> have experienced that. Where I'm at with that today, though, is that the only definition of blackness that I can comment on is mine. I'm okay. not responsible for yours, 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 yours. Like, mm. I, as a black man, I'm allowed to practice duplicity. I'm allowed to change mm. my mind tomorrow. I'm allowed to change it back the day after that. When I was yeah. eating meat, I preferred a medium rare steak. Uh, <laughs> like, all of these things that are just like, oh, it's just that, 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 and the other. It's just like, and I feel like the the boxes that sometimes, not even sometimes, most of the time, all the time, we are pushed into are another form of white supremacy and the structure yeah, that we've been totally. brought up in. Because if you look actually deep back at all of our respective cultures across Africa as a whole, men were allowed to be soft and in love with their families and exude feminine sides and cook and balance out the workload with their partners. Like historically, those are normal things. So this, and I'm just talking from perspective of men now, the way that like black men, some of the black men, even within my life that I'm really working hard with to like help to like view the bigger picture, mm-hmm. the ideals and, and the way they think they need to act and all of these things are just off of, based off of like a very Eurocentric Westernized point of view. And it's not, it's, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not real whatsoever. So, um, yeah, I just think it's about you. It's that internalized oppression that we that you're 100%. talking about essentially here. 100%. Like, and I do the same. Even my little brother has twists, um, and he's been growing his hair for like two years now. And even for me, watching his hair grow, I'm like, oh my god, what about work? Like, what you can't do that? Like, you work in a corporate environment. Da 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 da. Had a chat with him last night about it, and he was like. No, my work's really chill, actually. <laughs> it's like... But how could they not cool. be is the question. I don't even understand yeah. how that is a question. Like, to be like, oh, will they, won't they? Like, it's part of you. Like, that's my yeah. hair. It is, it yeah. isn't. Before we wrap up, I just wanted to ask you, yeah, just what your last comments would be or any advice you would have for anyone in a corporate environment. I think it's just to reiterate that, to add on what Kevin said, is that, you know, black people, black women, we're not a monolith, you know, we're not all the same. Mm -hmm. So in order for the even the concept of you trying to represent the millions of black women that exist in the UK alone and speak on their behalf is nuts. It's impossible. And it's Mm -hmm. not a task that you can neither do or should do. And I feel like, when that pressure is bestowed onto, you know, the single black woman or black person in, in a specific department or industry, and now you become this this voice, you have to keep pushing back and say, I'm one person and my views are so different than another black woman's views. So ain't no way you're going to ask me and try to funnel all this information from me thinking that you're going to get the, the same view from everyone else. Like, mm. you know, it doesn't allow you to change, doesn't allow you to present different viewpoints. It just makes you want to be forced into this one perspective and this one lens of who people believe black people black women are and I think there's so much as we see there's so much danger to that 
it's built on stereotypes and wanting to prejudice and just be racist to people if I'm very frank and I feel that that same culture of like oh you can speak on behalf of your culture or your community is directly linked to that exact problem and I feel like no one should ever feel the pressure of that because there's no way you can represent everyone around you um even everyone in this group all have different viewpoints and we're all black so it's like how would you even do that and I think yeah a lot of people need to keep pushing back is my advice and say absolutely no way what do you mean like you're not going to get everything from me I'm not going to be able to tell you everything go and conduct your own surveys like what do you mean like (laughs) I think it's about you finding like where you're comfortable at and pushing that bit by bit I would hate to leave this podcast and have people thinking that I say and do the things that I do and people yeah, haven't tried to come this to my way. head. But yeah, and like yeah. people haven't tried to like destroy me for it. Like it's not yeah. easy at all. But yeah. the alternative is me alongside them gaslighting myself and turning myself mad. And my <laughs> ancestors did not want that for me. So it's not going to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Embrace who you are, embrace your hair, embrace the way you look, yeah. embrace your language and your culture. Thank you so much, yeah. guys, for being part of this. We really appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Can you please let our listeners know where yeah. to find you on the internet? Yep, you can find me at ncrystal underscore on Instagram and ncrystal on Twitter. Um, and you can find all the relevant work that I do on my bio as well. So please follow, get in touch. And you can just find me at, at Kevin Morosky just on Twitter, Instagram and the rest. And if you want to find out more about POC, it's www.wearepoc.com. But yeah, just holler. Amazing. Always here. Don't feel like I'm not, I think Nicole's the same. Like I'm more than happy to talk to any like young, Mm. older, whoever, like just slide in my DMs on some real respectful stuff because if it's anything (laughs) else, I'm going to ask for your address. But yeah. Like just follow. Like, I'm always Be respectful. Slide in. Yeah. How great was it to speak to Kevin and Nicole? Yeah, I really, really loved this too. They give me a lot of like just good vibes. You know, just like oh, this is like nice. It's nice to feel like you're being heard and that they understand and you can all kind of be on a similar level and have the same conversation. Yeah. Also, everything that Kevin was saying at the beginning, we all need a Kevin at work. (laughs) Slapping off those straying hands and like calling out anyone who's making those comments that we all get. Like one thing that I definitely took away from this is that it's a journey, isn't it? It's a journey to knowing yourself and being yourself and being comfortable within yourself. Regardless of, I mean, Kevin's journey started when he was a kid and Nicole's was in her mid twenties, but I can definitely relate to a lot of what Nicole was saying. Even for me, like I got to a point in my life where I just almost stopped giving a shit about the way that I looked at least. Everything else, you know, I'm still dealing with and processing with but in terms of my appearance like I absolutely stopped caring yeah whereas I probably relate more to Kevin because I think that all of my stuff kind of does come from a lot of childhood things or even just adolescence growing up and sort of figuring out who you are and where you're positioning yourself and then the sort of internal battles you're fighting in your environment and how he said growing up in Croydon and me growing up in Ireland to the then bringing that into your adulthood and then bringing in a new environment, which is the work environment. So yeah, it's funny that we both find something within those two that we can kind of relate to. And I think this conversation is about that, you know, with this podcast, I hope that people, you know, listen to this and they they hear it and they can relate to different parts of it, even if not all of it. Obviously not everyone listening to this is creative, but there are parts of that that I hope you take away. It's a journey. Yeah, we, and we'll get there. Yeah, 
we'll get we'll get there i mean it's impressive to see two people that have essentially gotten there we're not saying that they're perfect by any means but like i'm impressed and i'm inspired just by speaking to them both but you know for a lot of people it takes them till they get to their 50s until they truly know themselves and be themselves and they are already yeah a big part of the way there yeah totally agree with you you know it is a journey and different people go on their journeys of figuring out how to navigate the world, whether it's your work, your home, your environment. And we're kind of all doing it together. So no one's alone in this. So I would say that definitely the really nice thing about talking to Kevin and Nicole is the sense of community. I guess from what Kevin said, you know, if anyone wants to sort of talk to him about any of their experiences, Nicole, me and she would be happy to listen. And also that's the point in this podcast, that it's a conversation so whether it's the DMs or it's on comments or you guys want to have more of a conversation or even just think of things that you think we should talk about, do let us know. It's quite fun to be able to make this a community project as well as just two girls on a podcast. So this is about all of us. And um, so, yeah. yeah, as you've seen, we've had people from the community, our listeners who have already sent like questions or things that they want to listen to and hear about. Um, so if you have any ideas DM us if you want to chat about what we've talked about today have any counterpoints or anything that you've related to like please do DM at Unpretty Podcast or even put it in the comments send us an email yeah I like the idea of it being in the comments because it means that we can come back and forth with you guys as well so we can make it an open form of conversation true that is true so yeah whichever you feel most comfortable yeah exactly (laughs) put it in the comments no do what you want Um, thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys come back for more you have been listening to the Unpretty Podcast hosted by me Chi Euphodiama and me Basma Khalifa not forgetting our producers shout out to A Soleil for booking our amazing guests and Katie Bissett for managing this whole thing special thanks to Xenia Gala for our artwork and Enoch Colo for our soundtrack if you like what you heard and want to hear more please make sure you subscribe rate us and make sure you tell all your friends and follow us on at and pretty podcast on Instagram and Twitter for more updates until next time <laughs>